extend a welcome to you this morning in the precious name of Jesus. For my meditation this morning, I have a question. Is The title is in the form of a question. How is your spiritual posture? How is your spiritual posture? One of my memories of school days was my school teacher's own occasion chiding us, me maybe particularly, to have good posture. Uh, Sit up straight. Put your feet flat on the floor and sit up straight. And look like you're learning something. Some of them, I, I was small and, you know, uh, young, and I thought some of them didn't have a lot to talk about. But maybe that's why they were concerned about me. Maybe their stature, their posture was not the best. And uh, they didn't want to see me end up like they looked. And I thought they were pretty old. Mrs. Horst, I don't know what her age was. I'm sure she probably was younger than I am today. But in my eyes, she was pretty old. My wife on occasion chides me to keep my posture straight when I preach, and uh, I find a little bit of condolence, and and she was listening to a sermon here some time back, and she said, you know, the preacher, David Yoder from Delaware, his, he, he, he uh, recounted the same experience. He said, my wife tells me to stand up straight when I preach, so I don't know if it's, <laughs> if it's uh, a tendency of preachers, maybe that's something to do with their height, I don't know, but... Uh, that's that's physical stature we're talking about, and I believe physical posture is good for us. Uh, I believe we ought to stand tall. I believe we ought to sit straight, and uh, we ought to walk straight. And I believe physically it's it's better for us. Slouching is not uh, good physical posture. But more important, well, everybody seems to be sitting extra straight this morning. <laughs> But more important is spiritual posture. And that's what I want you to take home this morning. It's our spiritual posture that really matters. Physical posture is important, but spiritual posture is way more important. So remember that. Um, The psalmist in Psalms 1 said this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. You can think of those who, in the New Testament, it it mentions Judas, who walked among those who were conspiring to betray his Lord. He walked with them. It mentions about Paul in the the, uh, death of Stephen. He stood by. He stood by them. In the New Testament, we see Peter who sat with those that were, again, bringing our Lord to his crucifixion. That's on the negative side. On the positive side, we can look in the New Testament, well, actually in the Old Testament for one, but in the New Testament we see Zacchaeus. When Jesus called him, it says he stood there with the Lord and he made the announcement that he was going to repay all that he had taken from man unjustly. He stood there. The Old Testament, it says we talked about him uh, Enoch says he walked with God. I was trying to think if we, uh, if there's any New Testament accounts that uh, it, you know that uses that analogy that they walked with the Lord. We find there are some that no longer walked with Him after uh, Jesus had uh, explained to them the cost of discipleship. It says there's many no longer. 
followed and walked with him. Mary, another positive one, says she sat at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus commended her for that uh, for that posture, sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning and savoring the truth that that Jesus had to teach. And again, that's just uh, a number of different postures we see, walking, standing, and sitting, negative and positive aspects. But turning your Bibles this morning for a meditation to Psalm 139. I thought of this psalm in relation to our um, service this morning, our, our council service, and it's it's one of the most personal psalms probably that David penned. Um, and as I, I thought about our spiritual posture, I think there's four things that we can learn from this psalm here that David recounts here. And I want to read through this psalm and then I want to come back and uh, and look at some truths from this psalm. You know, you may ask, how how is my spiritual posture? And, uh, you know, ask... Uh, anyone who knows you best and they can tell you my wife probably knows me the best of anyone and she tells me what my posture is like um, beginning at Psalms 139 verse 1 O Lord thou hast searched me and known me thou knowest my down sittings and mine uprising thou understandest my thoughts afar off thou compassed my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways for there is not a word in my tongue but lo O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins and hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Then eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in my book all my members were written, and in thy book all my members were written, which in a continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, there are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men." For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am, I, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The first section of verses, uh, verses one through six, I'd like you to, uh, if you want to, uh, uh, know what your spiritual posture is like, the, the best thing any one of us can do spiritually is, is learn to know the Lord God. We'll learn more about ourselves by learning to know God. And I think that's what the psalmist is telling us here is that, uh, uh, we can learn to know ourselves by knowing God. Verses 1 through 6 is, is I like to uh, summarize those 
thoughts in what God knows about you and me this morning. And look at what uh, what the psalmist says. Notice in verse 2, he says, He knows my actions, my downsittings, my uprising. Uh, he knows the thoughts that are uh, the seeds of, of our actions. You know, where do actions come from? Sometimes we say actions are spontaneous, and maybe they are. But there's still still thoughts that, that probably brought those actions into fruitation. And God knows those thoughts. And he knows the process of our thinking. Sometimes for us it's hard to understand our, our process of thinking, why we think the way we do and why we do what we do. But David here very, very concisely, I think, tells it. It's, it's, you know, it's God understands our, the very intricate workings of our, our being. Our, our downsittings, our uprisings. God understands our thoughts afar off. Ask God, what are my thoughts, where, what direction are my thoughts taking me so that the actions do not take me in the end the wrong way? Verse 3 particularly talks about direction. It says, Thou compassed my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There's not a way among any of us here this morning that God, that is unseen to God. He knows all of our directions. Am I moving in the direction, the question I ask you in relation to verse 3, am I moving in the direction that God wants me to move? Am I, am I going in the direction that I want, that God wants me to go? Thinking about our Sunday school lesson with Abraham, uh, was Abraham doing what God wanted him to do? I believe in the end he did. How fast am I moving? What's my pace? Uh, is it satisfactory to God? Verse 4, he mentions his words. Words are, are a window into our soul, someone has said. Words are, uh, you know, what, what are, what are, what are in our inner being. And they find expression. They come out. And, uh, they can tell what is in our heart. Uh, verse 4, for there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. And I, as I thought about words, you know, the words we, sh- the words that we say in a, in a lifetime, the words that we say in, in one day, the words that we say in maybe the 15, 20 minutes that I have here this morning, you know, are they going to be words of encouragement? Are they going to be words that are going to inspire you? Or are they words that are going to, to, uh, uh, serve to, uh, discourage you. Uh, my daily verse for today had that thought. It said that you know how that words can be can be uh, a building of encouragement in our lives, or they can they can be the negative. They can actually destroy and tear us down. And how careful we need to be with those words. And, and to think that I spent how many years talking, and, and the Lord spent thirty three years living out the Christian life, and God in His and I don't know how many words are in the Bible. Does anybody know how many words are in the entire? King James Bible? I suppose we could Google it and find out. But, you know, think that, that, that God could be so concise that in this book, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's almost mind-boggling to think that God, the truth that we need to live by are in between the covers of this book. And, and the lessons and the applications. To me, that's impressive. I, I probably ramble too much. I, I, I get extra words in. I, I say things that are unnecessary. But, you know, God is concise. And, uh, you know, it's, it's impressive to think that within the covers of this book are, are, are really the only things that pertain unto life and godliness. And how focused we need to be on understanding and learning to live that. Well, looking at verse 5, what God knows about me. Verse 5, thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. 
Looking forward, God knows my tomorrow. God is there already. We sometimes hear that expression. Don't worry about tomorrow. God's already there. God knows where I'm going to be tomorrow. He knew. He knows where I'm coming from. He knows my yesterday. He knows my today. He's got me totally surrounded. He's got all of us totally surrounded. How can God do that? Well, in verse 6, the psalmist says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It, it is high. I cannot attain unto that. That's where we need to come back to our, our, our Sunday school lesson and also our devotional is, you know, that's where faith comes into play. I, I can't grasp a God that is that great. I can't fully comprehend how he can do that. But I need to express faith in him who knows that I needed a Savior and provided a Savior, a means to be brought into a relationship with him so that I can experience fellowship with him, that I invite him to be my shepherd. I invite him to be... Uh, the uh, the Savior of my life. And it's because of His blood that we can experience His shed blood in Calvary, that we can we can experience redemption and salvation and be brought into a, a closer relationship with Him. The blood of the Savior was not actually shed here in, in the psalmist expressions when these words were probably penned, but in faith He was looking forward to that, that perfect lamb. David was a shepherd. He knew what it was like to perhaps sacrifice the best lamb of the flock. And he knew that someday in faith he was looking forward to the lamb of God. Did he know what that lamb of God was going to look like? Did he know that it was going to be Jesus? What was his relationship like? Those are just some of the thoughts that I thought about as I thought about David as a, as a shepherd. You know, and as he, over the period of time, yearly, would, would bring that the best lamb out of his flock and sacrifice it in faith. That someday the perfect lamb of God would be sacrificed and the blood would be shed so that there would be no more shedding of animal blood of the lambs. The second thing that I think, first thought in verses 1 to 6, is to think about what God knows about you this morning. Again, what's your spiritual posture like? Ask God. He knows more about you than anybody else sitting here in this audience. Don't worry about them. Ask God. That's what makes the difference. The second thing is, we cannot escape God's evaluation of our lives. And that's in verses 7 through 12. Notice he says in verse 8, he says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. The first Soviet cosmonauts, call them cosmonauts rather than astronauts as the U.S. called them, and when they first orbited into space in a Sputnik, they joked. They said, we did not see God up there very irreverently. But you know, the thought that challenges me is that God saw them. Even though they joked they did not see God, and they did not probably see God, you'd think they should have, looking at the earth from a vantage point that they did. There's this ball globe going around, and looking back at it, to realize that this did not just happen. There has to be a creator somewhere, even if I cannot see him. But again, the truth that's, that, that challenges me is the fact that even though we or anybody that walks the faith of this earth denies that they cannot see God, God still sees them. And he loves them. He knows that they need his redemption that is supplied on Calvary. We cannot escape the presence of God. You and I cannot escape his presence. Notice in verse 9 it says, If I take the wings of the morning, if I decide to go east, I cannot escape the presence of God. 
If I decide to go west to the uttermost parts of the sea, I cannot escape the presence of God. Not only directional-wise, east, west, north, south, but also darkness and light. Notice verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the light but the night shineth at the day. The darkness and light are both alike to thee. Our God is a is a God that is the darkness and light. You know, we're limited by darkness. You know, it's we, our physical bodies get tired, and that's for most of us. That's when we sleep. For some of the rest of us, while we our schedules are children, I guess you'd say. But uh, darkness and light are the same to the Lord. It doesn't make a difference whether you work a night shift or not. God is there. It's all the same to Him. Notice verse 10. I wanted to mention that. I, I jumped over that because I think there's a truth in verse 10 that I think we as his children need to, to grab a hold of. Even there shall thy, thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. God's ability to lead and to hold in our lives is something that you and I as his children ought to treasure. God's ability to lead and to hold us. How many times would I misstep? How many times would I go ahead of God or lag behind when God would... By circumstances, in a sense, hold me where I need to be. God has the ability to lead and to hold us and every one of us in our lives. Do I welcome that? Do I welcome his presence? East, west, north, south, darkness, light. God has the ability to lead and to hold through all of those experiences. And do I welcome that that ability and uh, of God in my life? The third thing I notice is that... Uh, God has plans for each one of us. God has plans for you and I. <clears throat> Notice the psalmist here in verses 13. Um, for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Does my soul know that God has a purpose and a plan? Have I given recognition to God this morning that through my soul, through the giving of my soul to him, my life to him, that he has a purpose and a plan. Uh, and he uses the human body as, as, a, as a way of, of us, as a word picture to understand that. Uh, you know, as we look at the marvel of the human body and the way it is created, it, uh, and here are some facts I'd like to just share with you. We know there has to be, it isn't happenstance, it isn't evolution. It was by God's creation that you and I have what we have this morning. Actually, uh, the verses in Romans 1, 20 and 21, and I won't take the time to turn to them, but it says, it brings out the idea that man is without excuse. If we consider the, the design of our, our physical bodies, man is without excuse to give recognition to a creator that is greater than themselves. Some of the facts that I, I was challenged with as I thought about the marvel of the human body is that every second, more than 100,000 chemical reactions are taking place within our brains. Every second, more than 100,000 chemical reactions are taking place in our, in our minds, in our brains. 10 million, 10 billion rather, nerve cells uh, record what is seen and heard. 10 billion nerve cells record what is seen and heard. Uh, you know, that's phenomenal. To me, that's phenomenal. Another thing that I found interesting, the tears that fight irritation from dust, dirt in our eyes, are different than the tears of sadness. The tears that you shed when your eyes irritated are different 
The makeup of those tears are different. They say it has 24% more proteins in. Uh, so the tears of sadness are different than the tears of, of protection of irritants. One square inch of skin has 625 sweat glands, 19 feet of blood vessels, and 19,000 sensory cells working in conjunction with your brain to maintain your body temperature at 98.6, which, which is a healthy uh, temperature. Your body is extremely efficient. Someone has calculated that uh, your stomach has 35 million glands producing just exactly the right amount of secre secretions and juices to convert the food that we eat into energy and uh, to avoid digesting itself, it, it re the stomach uh, re reproduces its lining every three days. Uh, I'm, again, I, this is not, I didn't discover that. I'm just sharing what was shared. Uh, talk about efficiency. To ride a bicycle for an hour at 10 miles per hour would require approximately 350 calories, which would convert to only three tablespoons of gas. To ride a bicycle for an hour at 10 miles per hour would require about 350 calories, which would convert to only three tablespoons of gas. Talk about the push for sustainability. I think we better all go back to bicycles. <laughs> well, again, uh, these, ver these thoughts, notice what the psalmist says. How precious, verse 17, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. He says, so I think about how great... You are God, and you created us. You designed us. He says, those thoughts, how often do I think about that? Probably not as often as I think. We, we expect our bodies to keep producing. We keep doing the things we're doing, and uh, you know, we get older, and we age, and uh, we start getting stooped and bent over, and why do we do that? Uh, well, the psalmist says, I, as I think about God, and we talked about in the Sunday School lesson, we're in a transition. Uh, we're, we're moving on. They're, we're not designed to stay here forever. And uh, But the important thing is that we serve the Lord faithfully the days that he has given to us. And uh, that's a challenge to me this, this morning as I think about that. Looking at the fourth thing is, is a concluding challenge I want to leave with you is where will I place my loyalty? Where will you place your loyalty this morning? Will you place your loyalty with your creator, your redeemer, Jesus Christ and God. Um, and David talks about that. He talks about those who do not, the wicked. He talks about them. He says, uh, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. And uh, now the Bible says we ought to love our enemies. He says they speak wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. We know about that, don't we? Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? But then notice David makes an expression here in verse 22. He says, I hate them with perfect hatred, and I count them mine enemies. The challenge that I think you and I are faced with is that we need to love the sinner, but hate the sin. And that's where it gets, that's where as our, 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 our human nature gets in the way. We, we tend to put the two together. The sinner and the sinner, the sin and the sinner together. But David says we need to hate them with a perfect hatred. And I think we could go to the book of Jude where it talks about uh, an expression of... I should just turn to those verses there in Jude uh, Jude 22, uh, verses 22 and 23, I think is an expression of, of perfect hatred, I guess, for sin. Jude 22, 
Verse 22, and of some have compassion, making a difference. So we need to have compassion on a sinner. Verse 23, and others saving with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. And I, I guess that would be my interpretation of the perfect hatred that David is talking about there. Uh, we need to love the sinner as Christ did, even when he's ministering here in this world, but hate the sin that drags them down away from God. Again, in conclusion, who, where, why I place my loyalty with? David, in verse 23, he invites again God to search him. And then he makes a conclusion in verse 24. And if there be any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. Not just anywhere. Not just anywhere is satisfactory for David. Not just anywhere should be satisfactory for us. But we should be led, allow God to lead us in the way that is everlasting. In the way. We are uh, children of God and he calls us to live in the way. May God help us to do that. Lord bless you this morning.